One year, I was incredibly unprepared for Christmas. Um, Rob joked, he reminded you that Christmas is Saturday, so you should buy your presents, and we kind of all laughed. Well, there was one year that was me, um, and Christmas somehow kind of snuck up on me. Um, and it f kept putting off getting Brianna's present and putting it off and putting it off until finally it was Christmas Eve and I was sitting there about lunchtime going, oh, yeah, I haven't got that yet. Well, at that point, you know, it's too late to get anything bought online and have it shipped in. So there I found myself wandering around Target trying to figure out what should I get Brie. <laughs> so I'm wandering around in the book section because she loves books and finally I see it and it hits me. Oh, Perfect. This is just what I should get her. It's this beautiful copy of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, all illustrated. And she, I'd been getting her some of the other ones, and this one had just come out, and they're like full-page illustrations, and they're really beautiful. So I get it, and I'm really proud of myself, feeling good. You know, hey, I, it was really late, but I made it, and I got something good. So I wrap it. Next morning comes, celebrating with our family and opening presents, and then my sister-in-law gives her a present. And so she opens it up and big smile on her face and she's so excited and my stomach just drops to the floor and filled with horror because my sister-in-law has also got her Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and my sister-in-law got her this because she asked me what to get my wife and I told her that she should get her that book because that would be a wonderful <laughs> present and I was going to get something else that I had completely forgotten about it. Um, I was beyond unprepared for that Christmas. Uh, but the question I have for you is, you know, are, are you prepared? Not do you have presents bought or, you know, finish up your decorations or your to-do list. But are you prepared to celebrate Christmas as Christians should? Are you prepared to, to remember what the heart of all of this is about? And, and we say that, right? I'm sure even you have said that multiple times over the last month. That, hey, Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season and blah, blah, blah. But... What does that mean? When we say these things, they can become cliche, but have, do we actually comprehend what we're talking about? And so this morning, we're going to finish up our series on the coming king. We've been looking at these prophecies in Isaiah, and we're going to end in the most logical place of reminding ourselves that Jesus is the king of salvation. And that is why he came. He came to bring salvation into the world to all of us, to save sinners. We're going to talk a little bit about why and what difference that should make. So if you would, turn with your Bibles in with me to Isaiah 62, and we're going to read through um, all of these 12 verses. So stand with me if you are able as we read God's Word. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance shall take no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem to make it a praise in the earth. 
The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his almighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. Foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored, but those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. So go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highest way, clear it of stones, lift up a signal to all the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. And behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would be here this morning. Lord, that you would open up your word, you would open up our hearts. Lord, help our, our hearts not to grow cold or bored with this old story that we tell every year at this time, how you came to bring salvation. Make it afresh in our hearts and help us fall more and more in love with you. Pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So first thing we're going to look at, it's important, we've got to start in the obvious place. Why was... Christ born, why do we celebrate Christmas? Why does any of this matter? Well, it matters because Jesus came to bring salvation. Jesus came to bring salvation. This is why we celebrate. Um, and we say this, hopefully, every single Sunday, right, as we gather as a church, because that's why we're here. We believe that Jesus came to bring us salvation, and that is our only hope in life and death. And, but why is this good news? Well, it's good news because we need salvation, it's good news because the world is a dark place. There's a lot of problems in our world, aren't there? We have war and civil war and genocide all over the globe. There are concentration camps in China. We've had COVID that still will not go away, even though everyone on earth wishes that it would and we could never talk about it again. We've got over 800,000 people just in the U.S. who have died from it. That's over a million families whose Christmases will be different this year than they were in the past. And death in general is all around, not just with COVID, but it's always here. Christmas may be harder for you this year as you think of your loved ones who won't be with you. Israel, too, is facing problems during Isaiah's day. They were facing not just a spiritual crisis, but a national crisis. They were in exile. They're out of the land, wandering, finding themselves ruled by the Babylonians, longing for redemption and salvation and freedom from their oppression. And the question they felt is a question that we often feel as well when we're suffering. Where is God? Why God? Why would you allow this? Why haven't you stopped this? Why haven't you done something? Where are you? Do you care? Are you just silent? Verse 1 gives us our answer. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. The king of salvation says he will not be silent in the face of our suffering. He, the miracle of Christmas is that our God speaks, that he spoke. Jesus being born is God shouting into the universe, salvation is coming, I've heard you, I will not be silent. I will speak and I will answer your suffering and your cries. And it's not just that God speaks. It's not just that God says, hey, I hear you guys. It's not just that God puts out, you know, he doesn't emerge from his silence with a nice PR statement put together by his lawyers addressing our concerns while really just saying a bunch of gobbledygook. 
He's not breaking his silence with a tweet or a hashtag. God breaks his silence by acting in history. By moving. He doesn't just say things and not back it up. He brings his son into the world to give us salvation. Because Jesus came and was born to fix things. Look at the rest of the verse. Why does God speak on the, for the sake of his people? Until her righteousness goes as forth as brightness. And her salvation is a burning torch. He will keep speaking and acting until we are saved. Until salvation and righteousness has come to us. Jesus, God heard the cries of his people throughout all the generations. But Christmas is a special moment because at that moment, God acted in history in a unique way. That Jesus stepped in to our reality, was born as a human being to bring us salvation. And Jesus does this a couple of different ways. There's a number of things we see that he does here. First, he renames us in verse 2. You shall be called by a new name. He's going to change the names of his people. Verse 4, he kind of lays out this name change. No longer will you be called forsaken. It's a horrible name. It's a horrible nickname. I wouldn't want to be called forsaken. But maybe you felt that way. It says, no longer will you be termed forsaken. Your land shall be no more called desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her, and your land married. No longer are you forsaken, but my delight is in her. That's a much more beautiful poetic name. No longer desolate, but married. These are upgrades in names, and the, and the, the using of married there is trying to show that it's not desolate, that it's, it's a beautiful land, that things are, are great. It's just using it metaphorically. We also see right at the end of 12, he says, now you'll be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You'll be called sought out, a city not forsaken. There's a reversal of these names going on. And God's renaming is significant. It's not just a formality. God renames things to declare that they have a new identity. We see all throughout the story of Scripture how God renames people. Because God loves to do this. And it declares a fundamental change. Abram becomes Abraham. Jacob becomes Israel. Simon becomes Peter. God renames. And here, their previous state of Israel describes them apart from God, needing salvation, forsaken, desolate. But now they're delighted. Now they're the holy people. Now they're loved. And Jesus renames us as well. That when we are adopted into his family, the moment that we are saved and give our lives to Jesus, we're given the family name. That's why we call ourselves Christians. Jesus' name is a part of ours. We're no longer dead in sins but alive. Our names are no longer sinners but saints. We're not called saints because we're super holy or because miracles have been done in our name and because people prayed to us. We can be called saints as Paul calls all of the churches because of what Jesus has done in us. And he does not just rename, he also remakes. He transforms the nation. He takes them from a desolate, awful place and he makes it new and wonderful again. He takes their land and their crops that are taken from them and ate. He takes the, I mean, think of a land that you would look at. Think of some farmland if you looked at it and thought, well, that looks desolate. Well, who would want that? And think of, you know, the Great Plains in Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl. That's pretty desolate. God says, well, I can take what that is and I'm going to make it new. And make it bountiful and make it wonderful. That's what he does. And then finally what he does, he does something wonderful. He rejoices. 
He doesn't just rename or remake. He rejoices at us. Look at verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God will rejoice over you. God doesn't just not stay silent by entering into our world and sending Jesus to save us, and then He's done. That's it. He also continues to speak, even today, by rejoicing over us. He rejoices over the faithful and the saved. What is a beautiful picture of that? So often we have this picture of God and His salvation as if it's something that He did out of obligation. As if it's something that He did kind of begrudgingly. He kept hitting snooze on his alarm, and then finally he decided he would save us, I guess, since he's got to, but he's not really happy about it. He'll just go through the motions. We often think that maybe Jesus gave us salvation, but he just shakes his head in disappointment at us whenever he sees us. Or when we pray again, asking God for help, that God just says, I wish they would leave me alone because they just don't ever quit bothering me. This tells us that God, as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall God rejoice over you. Think of a wedding. If you've been to one recently, or think of the last one you've been at, right? Okay, the groom is standing up there at the altar before it begins. Probably a lot of the grooms in, or maybe some other people are there. And, and we're all just kind of waiting, watching him. And then suddenly, you know, maybe the doors in the back shut and some music starts. Everyone stands up and then, you know, half of us maybe look back to see the bride. But a lot of people are going to turn and look and want to see the groom. Because right, we want to see what he does when the bride comes in. Because he hasn't seen her probably that day. Definitely hasn't seen the dress yet. Maybe he hasn't seen her at all. And we want to see what his reaction is when those doors open and he sees his bride. Does he, does he smile? Does he cry? Does he, you know, we want to see joy. We want to see him rejoicing. And if we looked at him and he wasn't doing any of those things, we kind of look normal, we might start to wonder, oh boy, this marriage might not be great. I don't, you know, we start having those thoughts. We had them already. But we do, we, we want to see that rejoicing. And what the, the best reaction you've seen, think of the best time you've seen a groom's face when the bride walked into the room. That is Jesus' face towards you. That is what it tells us, the way that Jesus reacts and the way that he delights and thinks about us. That when he sees us, he rejoices. Not because we are so amazing and so awesome in and of ourselves, but because he looks at us and sees what Jesus has made us. He sees the salvation, the righteousness that has been accredited to our account, and he rejoices in us. Rejoices over us. But God, this is why we celebrate Christmas is what Jesus was born. It's about the fact that God loves us. He saved you and He loves you. He rejoices over you, not you just generically. Didn't come to save the whole world and you kind of snuck in there and He wishes you hadn't. He came to also save you specifically along with everyone else. God loves you and He came to save you and He rejoices over you. So Jesus came to bring us salvation. That's good news, but, well, how should we respond? Okay, so what do we do? How should we act? How can we be prepared? Well, part two is we need to live like salvation is actually here. We need to live like salvation is actually here. Another, maybe to say that another way, we need to live like Christmas is actually true. Because if we actually believe this, we need to live today, not just the day that we're gathering on church on Sunday before um, Christmas, but this week and the rest of... The year, and to live as if Jesus really did come to bring salvation to sinners like you and me. 
There are a couple ways. So how do we do that? How can we actually live like salvation is true? Um, there's three ways that I think we can kind of live um, this out. I didn't create these. I'm not that creative. They just came right out of the passage, kind of in, especially in um, verse 10 and 11. Tom, if you want to go to the, that next slide for me. The first way that we can kind of live this out is we can, um, the next one for me too, is we can pray for salvation can pray for salvation. I'm giving you all three of these, but we're going to walk through them one at a time. This comes right out of um, verse 6. It tells us, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I've set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. So the watchman in Isaiah's day, right? This is the person who's up on the walls, looking out for danger. That's the metaphor of who it is. This is the person who is literally watching to make sure there's not an enemy army or bandits or somebody coming to get the city or to get people or get the crops and, and watch out. But the prophets continually, they, they refer to watchmen in a number of ways. Prophets are often called watchmen. So they look out for danger and sin and speak about, against it. Famously, in Ezekiel, God said he was looking for a watchman. But that's not the only way it's used. It's also repeatedly used to describe prayer. To describe those who are not just warning other people of danger, but who are there continually praying before God. And I think that's how this is being used, because we can get it from the context and the rest of it at, at the end of 6. So, you're a watchman, you're on the wall, never be silent. It's not just, hey, do a good job keeping us from danger. It's, you put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And don't give God any rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it praise in all of the earth. So it's not that these watchmen are warning Israel of danger. It's that you, hey, continually talk to God. Continually be praying and asking. But praying for what? Praying for salvation. Don't give Him any rest until He comes and brings it. So, okay, how do we do this? Well, first, unbelievers, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, should be praying to receive salvation. That's all you have to do. And it's the only application I actually have for you. If you don't know Jesus and you're here, I don't have any good life tips. I don't have any great advice to make you a better parent. I'm still figuring that one out or a better spouse or how to give good presents. I did better this year than years past, but I'm not, still not that great at it. I don't have good wisdom that's going to make you successful. Literally, all I have for you is Jesus. And that's what you need more than anything. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I, you need to pray for salvation. You need to ask God. To give you the salvation that Jesus died and came down to earth to give you. And it is free and it is for you. Jesus was born on this Christmas day to save us. The second person of the Trinity became fully human and remained fully God. He lived that perfect life on earth. Lived and died as a substitute in our place. On the cross he defeated sin and at the tomb he defeated death. And he purchased our salvation, He paid our debt and set us free. And salvation's here for any who want it. Anyone. You don't have to follow rules, come up with a list. There's no magical prayer or things you've got to do. You don't have to shape up and try harder. You just have to pray and ask Jesus to save you. And He promises that He will. But believers, we too are called to pray, right? To never be silent and to give God no rest. Well, what are we praying for when it comes to salvation? I think we should be praying that God would continue the work that He began on that Christmas day. It tells us, don't give Him rest until He establishes Jerusalem. Keep praying until God comes again. For them, they were thinking God would do this the first time He came. For us now, we know Jesus hasn't fully done this yet. I don't think this is just about, hey, establish Jerusalem, make it a capital, and make Israel a nation state. 
We don't get to not do this anymore because 1948 happened and Israel's a nation now. No, that's not what this is about. This is about we're praying and waiting for God to come back and for Jesus to reign. That's what we're called to pray for. To pray and pray and pray again until Jesus rides across the sky and sets up His throne. This is one of the reasons my, one of my favorite Christmas songs we sang this morning is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it's just a prayer. It's just, Emmanuel, come. Israel prayed for you to come, and you came, and we are still praying today that you would come once again. Please, Emmanuel, come. And as believers, we can and we should. We should continually be praying and asking God to come back. That's how the book of Revelation ends. It doesn't just end saying, hey, here's all these good prophecies. Now you've got it figured out. Good luck. It just says, oh, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus, would you come? That's one way that we should be spending our Christmas. We don't just celebrate and look back to his first coming, but we look forward to the second one. We say, Jesus, I know you can do this because I know you already did it. Now would you do it again? Please come back. And when we pray for the return of Jesus, it puts things in perspective for us. Because it's hard to pray for Jesus to come back when you're still holding idols and other things in your heart. There's often times when we might think that or think, oh, you know, I'd like to pray for Jesus to return, but I'm not sure I'm really ready yet. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. I've got some things in my schedule, Jesus, that I really would like to happen. So you can come. I definitely want you to come, but let me see where I can pencil you in. That's often how we treat it. You know, do we want Jesus to wait, or do we really want Him to come? Or is there something you long for more than you long for the return of your King? Second way to, to prepare to really to live like Jesus really came is to prepare others for salvation. We should be preparing people, including ourselves, for Jesus to return. And part of our preparation for Christmas is to prepare others. We see this in 10. Go through. Go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. I didn't make this up, it's just, it's here. Build up, build up the highways, clear it of stones. Saying, hey, do actual work to prepare people for the Messiah to come. To make way for Him. And this is part of what John the Baptist did when he came. And part of what he quoted and saying, hey, I'm here to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he quoted Isaiah 43. But you also see it here as well. It's part of what we're called to do is to, to prepare it. But I don't think this is just a prophecy describing who John would be, but a command for all of us as believers that we would prepare the way for Jesus. So how are we to prepare people? Well, first, we've got to prepare our own hearts. We have to look at ourselves. You know, are, are we thinking about Jesus during Advent? Are we centering our hearts on Him, on the things of the kingdom of God? Are we centering them on presence, our to-do lists? Our travel plans, our decorations, our guest lists. Are we meditating on the wonder of the incarnation? Are we just looking at Christmas lights? None of those things are, are bad necessarily, but are, are we really prepared for Jesus? I, I think about this as just being a young parent. I know there are other young parents here as well. You know, you think about our kids. What do they think Christmas is about? The guy was really young. He still doesn't know what a lot is about. I told him I was a pastor yesterday, and then he asked if Grant was a pastor. So, like, he's, you know, there's, there's things he doesn't really completely get because he's three, right? And so there's often things we have to explain to him, especially when we do things new. Like, we're, we're going out of town. We're flying on an airplane tonight, so we've been talking for days. Okay, Calvin, 
we're going to go home after church, we're going to take our nap, we're waking up, and we're going to go on an airplane. And we try, you know, try to explain these things so he gets it. Well, and we have to do that with presents. Hey, we're going to be opening presents, and here's what, how, why this is going to be different, and here's what we're doing. That's the question, too. Well, am I preparing him to talk about Jesus? Am I telling him about the things of Jesus at Christmas time, or are we just telling him about lights? We just tell him about why we open presents because it's fun. We're thinking about other things. And I'm not here to trash any of that stuff. It's great. It's wonderful even. But I got to ask myself, and I think we do too, am I preparing his heart to care about Jesus? Or am I preparing him to think that Christmas is about something else? That's true with little kids. I think it's something we have to ask all of ourselves as well. Well, hey, am, am all my plans, are they centered around Jesus and meditating on him, or are they centered around other stuff? And the next question is, man, are we preparing others? Because I don't think we should be preparing others by sending them our Christmas lists or Christmas cards or gifts. Um, I also don't think this means that we should be spending our Christmas by arguing with people about what the meaning of Christmas is. Um, I usually see this every, every year. Um, you know, Christians get really riled up and just want to start fighting with people. Um, you know, like the war on Christmas, which is about the dumbest thing I can ever think of. Um, because I, I really don't think, you know, you can tell me if you think this, you find it somewhere in Scripture and rebuke me and, and I'll repent publicly. But I don't think the mission of the church is to make unbelievers act like and pretend as if they are believers. I feel like our mission, it seems that our mission is to make disciples and followers of Jesus. So I don't really care if people who don't know Jesus are acting like they don't know Jesus. And companies are no longer pretending like they care about Jesus just so they can sell me more junk. Our mission in preparing others shouldn't just be, hey, you really need to pretend you care about Jesus and show up on church on Christmas Eve at some service so you can fall asleep and not pay attention. Okay, is that a bad thing to go to that? No, but, you know, what kind of preparations are we supposed to make? Build up, build up the highways, clear it of stones. We're supposed to make it easier for people to come to Jesus. We're supposed to make it easier for people to want to come to Him. We should be removing barriers, not making it more difficult for people to find Jesus. You know, we shouldn't be adding stones in their path to make it harder to think about God. There's a number of ways we can do that. But, you know, when people hang out with you, do you make them want to think about Jesus more? When you talk with people about Christmas or just in general, does it make them want to ponder Jesus or does it just make them think you're a jerk? I don't think, where, where do you go to church? Okay, never going there. Thank you for telling me because... Seems like a terrible place if you're any indication of that. You know, and we can do this. This is a wonderful opportunity to talk about the beauty of the incarnation and of Jesus and everything that he has done. That the idea that the king of salvation, that God himself would decide to come and be born as a baby. Who would do that again? Okay, there are sometimes I think maybe that would be great to just be carried around and people fulfill my every need. But, you know, really, the fact that God himself would decide to limit himself and be a tiny little baby just to save us. That is unbelievable. That is wonderful news. That's what we should care about. That's what we should be telling people about. And I also, I've got this radical, crazy idea that maybe we can talk about the king of salvation and grace while being gracious ourselves. I don't know. Maybe that's too radical. But finally, we should just proclaim salvation. We should proclaim the gospel. Look at the, the end of 10. And 11, lift up a signal over the peoples, light something so that everyone can see, get their attention. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth and say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation 
comes. We should proclaim as God has proclaimed that salvation has come. It's here. Your deliverance, the the satisfaction to all of your deepest desires is here. Every single prophecy spoken through that we've looked at, and all of them, not just in these couple chapters of Isaiah, but the whole book of Isaiah, and in all of the prophets before, points towards and is a proclamation that, hey, your salvation's coming. Salvation's coming. Jesus is coming, I promise. Here's some of what Jesus is going to be like. He's going to be the king of light. Here's some of what Jesus will be like. He's going to be the king of restoration. He's going to be the king of salvation. The king is coming. Your salvation is coming coming. Every single promise that was given to God's people was a proclamation that I'm going to keep this. Every single book of the Bible was a proclamation that salvation is coming. And here's a bit of a picture of how it's going to be like. And on Christmas Day, on that day that Jesus was born, salvation came. Those prophecies were fulfilled. Those promises were kept. And Jesus was born and salvation was born in the person of Christ. And he spent every day of his life, at least in his public ministry, preaching the gospel and declaring, salvation's here. The kingdom of God is among you. And every book in the New Testament, it looks back and declares, hey, salvation has come and it's going to come again when Jesus returns. So this is what we're to proclaim. We're to be like God and to scream and to shout into the world, hey, salvation has come. Jesus was born. Grace is here. And I think our job this year above every year and continually like every day is to tell people about Jesus. To actually say it. To tell people about the gospel and about Christ. We're to proclaim it with our words. You say, hey, you know, show people with your actions, not your words. We really do, do both. We don't have to put those things against each other. But we're to lift up a signal to the peoples to make people look to Jesus. We can do this with our actions, with our tangible ways of loving them. But we also need to do it with our words. These things aren't opposites. They're the same. People aren't going to know about Jesus or know that we really care about Jesus unless we tell them. Right? We have to actually, we can't just assume that people, we also shouldn't assume that people know Jesus unless we ask them. It's a danger we can have living in a place like Oklahoma or the Bible Belt or we can assume, well, everybody goes to church or even because they go to church, they might know Jesus. They might not. Even because they say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, they might not know Jesus. I would tend to believe that most people don't. So why would we just assume that we get out of this? We proclaim salvation maybe when we go somewhere else, go to a different state or go overseas. No, we should be proclaiming salvation all the time. And our celebration of Christmas is an easy way to do it. It gives you a natural, easy conversation starter to talk about Jesus. Okay, I, I hear evangelists sometimes talk and how they twist every conversation to Jesus somehow and I just marvel about it. Like, I don't have that ability when I do it. It sounds terrible. Um, it doesn't really quite flow. But this is very simple. People are talking about Christmas. You can just ask simple things. Well, hey, what do you think about Jesus? Do you think he really was born? Do you think Jesus is actually God? Do you think that salvation really did come? Do you think that was just a story? Do you think that's true? And if you think that's true, what difference do you think that makes? Why do you think that matters? Do you think that salvation actually came through that little baby? Those are natural questions that we can 
ask and we should ask. And then we shouldn't just ask those questions. We should then proclaim what is true and what we believe. All three of these, they're, they're simple ways I think we can prepare for Christmas. Ways that we can actually live like Jesus came. Because if salvation was actually born, then that's something we should tell people about because it's so wonderful that we can't. When we don't tell people about it, we're actually living as if it's not true. Even though we might say we believe it here. And I want to just close with, with this question. It's, it's a simple one. You probably, if you look at your blanks, figured it out already. Um, I'm not always trying to be sneaky with these. It's just, are you ready for Christmas? Just are you, are you ready? I don't mean have you done all your shopping, but have you done your heart preparation? Have you been living and considering and thinking again about what Jesus has done? Are you living as if salvation in Christ really was born to us? The problem with holidays like this, especially um, if you've been a believer for a long time, is that you've done this before. Okay, there's nothing I have said this morning that you have not heard probably more times than I can count. I'm just talking about Jesus. He's the king of salvation. He was born. He came to save us. We should live like it. That's really simple. That's not new and inventive and really genius. I don't have anything new for you. We just have Jesus. And that's what it's about. Our Christian faith is an ancient faith. It's not about constantly coming up with new things and, and something better and fancier that we've never heard before. Our faith is about remembering the same things of old that have come out of Jesus' mouth and the apostles' mouth and the mouth of every believer after them. So Jesus was born. Do we believe it? Are we actually living like this is true? Are we taking time to meditate on the story? Is the only time you read Luke 2 once a year when it comes to Christmas time? Have you prayed the story? Have we proclaimed the story to others? I think we just need to stop and ask ourselves these things. Because the reality is that Christmas is often hard. It can be stressful. It can be exhausting. By the time Christmas is over and the New Year's over, I'm just tired and want to take a nap. Okay, it can be sad, it can be difficult. It, it can be all of those things, and we don't have to pretend that it's not. But whatever it is, it needs to be about Jesus. It needs to be about Jesus for us in here. And we can do a lot of the same things we've always done, but the question is, how is my heart? Is my heart really ready for Jesus? So just in summary, you know, Jesus, He came to bring us salvation. We need to live like that salvation actually came. We need to live like we really think Christmas is true. We need to pray it, we need to proclaim it, and prepare our others and ourselves. My challenge is just that we would be ready for Christmas and all that it means, so that it could be a wonderful day, at least for us spiritually, no matter what else is going on around us. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to transition to a time of celebrating communion together. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I just, I thank you for coming. Lord, I thank you that salvation really did come. Lord, I thank you that the, the idea and the fact that you were born in a manger is such wonderful news that Christians everywhere decided to stop and celebrate it specifically on, on a day every year. Lord, would you help um, us to not forget about you in the busyness of, of everything going on? Lord, would you help us to not be bored by the story of your salvation? Lord, would you help us to prepare 
for Christmas spiritually? Would we live like it really is true? We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Invite our worship team up to lead us um, in celebrating and singing our King once more. Amen. I hope Jesus is your King because He is amazing and His love is amazing. Hear this benediction from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God bless you. Go in peace.